Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Polak is doing uh, teacher things, so he is unable to hop on this week. But it's a pretty big week for Penn State football. I mean, coming off of a loss, going to be, you know, it's always tough playing that first post-loss game. And it could be a little bit tougher than usual uh, this week because Penn State has to go to East Lansing to play Michigan State uh, five and two, six and two. Sorry, I uh, don't want to disrespect Michigan State because I know that's what fuels them. Uh, six and two Spartan squad. They're also coming off of a loss against Northwestern, and we figured it would be good to get some insight into Michigan State. We didn't get anyone who covers the team on a day to day basis, but we did get someone who went there, and we got someone who writes about college football for a living. So we went over. And got our pal uh, Chris Vanini. You recognize him probably from our other Michigan State podcasts. And, of course, our WrestleMania podcast, the National College Football Reporter for the, the Athletic. And, yeah, he's here to help us talk about the Spartans. Chris, what's going on, buddy? I, I just got to say, teaching is not as important as the land-grant trophy. Oh, I don't get me wrong. I completely agree with you, but I think this is that time of year where it's like... That one week where you're a teacher where you have to like be engaged and do stuff. And there are 51 other weeks of the year, and it just happened to be this one. So I do feel you know, like, you, know, I, both, you know, both of these teams, you can go 1 and 11, but if that one win <laughs> is for the Land Grant Trophy, it's a successful season. Yeah, I, that's all I'm saying. My, one of the more underrated moments of last year's uh, Penn State football season was that. Uh, you know, end of the year, they end up winning the Big Ten. Uh, they win it in Beaver Stadium. They win it with, it's a victory over Michigan State. So, of course, there are two trophies being passed around. There's the uh, East Division Championship Trophy, and there's the Land Grant Trophy. And the East Division Championship Trophy is being, like, passed around like a hot potato. Everyone's, like, hoisting it up with one hand, like, in celebratory fashion. And then while that's happening, like the land grant trophy is constantly being held up by at least two people because it's just so cumbersome that it's like crowd surfing almost. And everyone is too busy celebrating that. And while they're doing that, I'm in my little corner of paradise just laughing at, uh, y- you know, just the general way that the land grant trophy is used. It's, it's the best trophy in sports. I think you and I both agree on that. Of course. And... This game just means more, uh, like solely because of that trophy. I mean, it's it's something that definitely gets its own spot in a, it may be a poorly lit portion of both teams' football complexes. They end up winning it. Uh, it might have its own trophy case if they could build one large enough for it. And the motivation to win it is largely because you don't want to have to make people within your program carry it places because it is very heavy. So, yeah, let's uh. Let's talk about the teams that are going to be playing for this trophy. Uh, if people are listening to this podcast, they probably know enough about the Pennsylvania State University and Nittany Lions. So let's talk about Michigan State. I mean, last year there was there were two college football teams that were viewed as big disappointments to everyone. Uh, of course, there's Notre Dame. I'm not going to say what their record was last year because I will not let people who make that joke win. But on the other side, there was Michigan State who – while Notre Dame went something and something, Michigan State actually won game, uh, you, you know, one game worse than that. They ended up going three and nine on the year. Their only Big Ten win was against Rutgers, uh, and they, they beat were, Notre Dame. They, and they beat Notre Dame. Yeah, like just a very, very, I, 
it, it was something that nobody was really expecting. I mean, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And next thing you know, Michigan State's this really bad team. And I guess the big question is, after last year when they were so bad, after this offseason where there was just so much roster turnover, whether it's because people graduating or people getting into legal issues or whatever it was, how has the team managed to go from where they were last year to 6-2 and two now and a shot at winning the Big Ten East if they could take down Penn State and next week Ohio State and Columbus? Yeah, so... Not only did they go three and nine, but coming into this year, they were near the bottom of the country in returning starters. Uh, they this is it's a very young team, and the fact that that hap has happened the way it has goes to show you how much I think chemistry and leadership was a factor last year, and the problems with it from from seniors uh, or, or freshmen not buying in. And it, it, it never clicked for them. It never clicked for them on the field. This year, this year's team just, they just battle. They're not that good, but they they just keep fighting. And they had won three or four straight games by one score before losing last week again by one score. Uh, it's a team that you can sense believes in itself. A year ago, when something would go wrong, they'd always mess something up first quarter, second quarter, and it would always snowball from there and get worse as the game went on. This year's team, it hasn't really happened. They they, they, they get past bad things. Uh, Lewerke has Brian Lewerke, the quarterback, has a very Connor Cook vibe in that he shakes off bad plays. That was something that Connor Cook was really good at, was shaking off bad plays. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a mix of guys kind of playing above themselves, but guys also fully buying in. Uh, and, and together, as cliche as that sounds, and I don't think that was the case a year ago. Yeah, and the thing that interests me so much about this Michigan State team, uh, it it reminds me, as I'm just looking, mainly looking through their S&P Plus numbers, it reminds me of some of those other Michigan State teams from the last five years or so, not the ones that were able to rise uh, to the level of, you know, they're winning the Big Ten, uh, they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're fighting for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl, whatever it was. But, you know, the offense is not especially good. I mean, they have a couple of things they do fairly well. I mean, looking here, Lewerke's been a pretty decent passer for them. I mean, they're sixth nationally uh, passing S&P Plus, which I didn't see coming. And then they're able to bust off a couple of big plays in the running game. But it's it seems like it's just all about a, their defense and, uh, you know, that that quote-unquote Spartan will that you always hear heard about with Michigan State during the heyday of uh, Mark D'Antonio, you know, Pat Narduzzi's there with all that stuff. But before we get into, like, this team and what they do well, and this is something that you touched on and I found it really interesting, and you mentioned a time or two that you think that they're kind of playing above their heads, and as I'm going down their schedule, you know, a 14-point win over Western Michigan, seven points over Iowa, uh, four points over Michigan, although that game was a little bit funky because it was played in a monsoon. Uh, and just all the way down, it's these really close football games. Is like, why is there that sense that Michigan State might be playing? You, you know, they might not be as good as being ranked, uh, you know, twenty fourth in the country, twenty first in S and P plus, all these various things. Well, I, I think they're deserving of it. I just think if you look at so, so the Michigan, the Michigan game. They go into what was then a top ten Michigan team and win, and and it was it was a hurricane, and yeah, but MSU was up fourteen to three late 
uh, at halftime of that game. And MSU started 14 freshmen and sophomores and like two or three seniors. And that that's why I say it's playing above their head. There is talent on this team. You can see it. Right, right. It's in, it's incredibly young, raw, un, undeveloped talent. Uh, they're Quarterback Lewerke, he's a, he's a third-year sophomore. Um, they're, some of their top receivers, uh, Cody White's a true freshman. Hunter Risen's a true freshman. Uh, Daryl Stewart's a sophomore, I think. Um, it, 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 they're young on the offensive line. Uh, they're young on the defensive line. They're young at linebacker. They've got, I think, two freshmen starting in the in the in the defensive backfield. Uh, it, it's just a team. It, it's a team that feels like it's a year or two away from being really good. I do think they're going to get there next year. I just think right now they're just kind of putting it all together and and and, and playing maybe a bit better than I, I think they they were. I think they'll get there, but this isn't a, these aren't freshmen and sophomores who come in with four and five star ratings across the board. These are these are the type of players, the three star guys who will develop as juniors and seniors to being really good players. And um, there's good and bad. You you see a number of freshman mistakes. Last week, Cody White fumbles inside the Northwestern 10-yard line, a true freshman. Lewerke's had turnover problems. Um, but they've just made the plays, and they haven't, you know, they're able to get past things. They don't get, they don't get rattled. They don't get shaken. And that's why I think they're kind of playing the way they're playing. And one thing, and this isn't meant to, you know, be a dig at the program or anything like that, but those four-star and five-star kids largely were the ones that either, you know, graduated or got in some kind of trouble and were no longer on the team now, correct? Like, Correct. Something like five or six of their top eight or nine recruits from the class of 2016 are, are off the team. Yeah, that was the uh, Donnie Corley year, correct? Yeah, Donnie yeah. Corley was one of three three players who, who were all freshmen or retro freshmen um, it, it, uh, accused of sexual assault and we're booted off yeah. the team after that yeah yeah and when, when you hear stuff like that i mean a lot so many programs like if that happens to an ohio state or an alabama they just plug them in with new kids who are you know four and five stars most program that's just not something that i think you could re- anyone is really equipped outside of the, the elite of the elite to handle so it really is a testament to what is being built in uh, east lansing that they have uh, kind of gotten to this point. And then they, they almost kind of, when it comes to just looking through their schedule and whatnot, they do kind of remind me of Penn State in that they don't really have that one huge win. I mean, at the time, the Michigan win uh, looked great, but the mix of, you know, whoever was w- leading that game once the storm came was probably going to win it. Plus, uh, Michigan's struggled the last couple of weeks have taken the shine off that a little, and it's taken the shine off of the win that Penn State had over them in a way. But... It still seems, you know, we're dealing with a good football team. We're dealing with a team that uh, is going to be coming into this game a little bit angry after what happened in Evanston last week. So just a really quick breakdown, Chris. What does Michigan State do well? Uh, the first thing they do well uh, is stop the run. And they're, they're number five nationally in Yards per carry allowed at 2.83. They, they've done a really good job, which is a little bit surprising because they are very small at linebacker and they're very small at defensive end. Uh, I was I had some concerns coming into the year if this team was going to be able to get back to stopping the run, which was always 
always what they built their defense around. When Pat Narduzzi was the defensive coordinator, it was all about stopping the run. And in the later years, they 2014, they get lit up in the passing game a number of times, but they wanted to stop the run. That's what this team has gotten back to, despite losing Malik McDowell, who was, a, I think, his first-round pick last year in the draft. Um, somehow, the group of guys ha- ha- have gotten back to what that defense is about, which is stopping the run. Um, and they are pretty talented, I think, in the defensive backfield, uh, especially compared to, strangely, a year ago, they had two guys who made the NFL from a defensive backfield that was absolutely brutal. But Josiah Scott's a, a freshman quarterback. Justin Lane is a sophomore. Uh, they're pretty good in the defensive backfield there. Um, yeah, the, one, one concern about the defense, I'll say, is that the linebackers, those small linebackers, have not been great in pass coverage, and North that's what North, how Northwestern beat MSU last week. They just drag-routed them to death and always kept throwing to receivers who lined up on linebackers. I don't know if Northwestern completed a pass that went further than 15 yards in the air down the field. They might have one or two, but it was all catching runs against linebackers who were, who were slow in pass coverage. But it starts with the run defense, and that's obviously going to be an interesting setup with, with Saquon Barkley coming in and um, everything he's capable of doing. So that the, the first matchup I look at is, is MSU going to be able to stop the run? Because they've been hit and miss with their tackling. Sometimes Some games, the Iowa game, the Michigan game, they really wrap up and guys don't get by them. But there have been a couple of games. The Northwestern game is another game where guys are breaking tackles on the sideline. They're not wrapping up well, and obviously – you know, Saquon Barkley is a pretty easy guy to tackle. So as long as you get an arm out there, he'll he'll go down, right? <laughs> uh, well, it depends on how far behind the line of scrimmage the staff is. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, first things first, and just so we can get this on the record, I know uh, y'all do a Heisman ballot each week. Who? What did you have as your Heisman top three? I had Baker Mayfield. Saquon Barkley, Bryce Love, last week. All right, this week, I guess. All right, so I hopefully people keep listening after that. But if they don't, then uh, well, thank you for stopping by. But we'll keep going. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the defense and its ability to stop teams from running the ball. But as I'm looking through here, it looks like its weaknesses tend to be one: its ability to do that uh, with L.J. Scott and Brian Lewerke to the extent that he runs it, and then it also looks like this might. Not, it looks like a good but not great passing defense. Is that kind of the key to beating them? Yeah, well, part of that pass defense is kind of what I mentioned about North about the the linebackers. And if if Matt Morris is in the game at safety, he's been a weakness. He's been in and out at safety. But when he played against Northwest uh, Notre Dame, every single time he was in the game, Notre Dame either ran or passed to his side of the ball, and Northwestern started to do. Similar. So if he's in, I would be very curious if Joe Moorhead goes right at him if he's in the game. Something to watch for. Number 10. Um, as for MSU's offense, they, they have a talented group of running backs. LJ Scott is an NFL talent at running back, but the offensive line has, has not been very good this year. Uh, it, it's Like I mentioned, it's very young. They've had some injuries, moving guys around, kind of a makeshift unit right now. That, that's been a problem for things. Um, uh, that's why they, they have not been able to run – it's been hit and miss. They ran the ball well against Michigan. They couldn't run the ball at all against Northwestern. And the play calling at times gets very predictable. They're very, you know, if they're under center, they're usually going to run the ball. If they're in an I formation, they're going to run the ball. If it's first down, they're probably going to run the ball. But Lewerke gives them 
something that they haven't quite they've had mobile quarterbacks before but he's really a guy who who looks to take off to run he had he's had i think two runs of more than 60 yards this year or more than 50 yards this year and if stuff's not open downfield he will um sometimes take off to run and without going through all of his reads um so that gerald holmes at running back madre london and lj scott they use three guys lj scott's had major major fumble problems keeps getting benched for it keeps getting more chances and keeps fumbling again so i'm curious he 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 fumbled against northwestern last week i don't know if he saw the field again but msu could not run the ball last week either so um against penn state i don't expect them to run the ball so you know I don't expect them to run the ball well. I mean, and but I expect them to try it a heck of a lot. And so there, there will probably be a lot of situations where you feel like MSU is wasting downs by running the ball because they have a lot more talent in the passing game than they do in the the run blocking. I guess. Yeah, I, I'm looking at Michigan State's S and P Plus numbers, and I, I'm not gonna lie, it looks. Especially when it comes to uh, power success rate and stuff rate, it looks a whole hell of a lot like Penn State does. I mean, Penn State's 124th in stuff rate, Michigan State's 128th. So this seems like a game where, uh, oh, and to you know, take it a little bit further, Michigan State, their best uh, metric when it comes to running the football is ISO PPP plus, and that's what Penn State does best uh, yes so, i mean they're 32nd in the country penn state's 11th so it this seems like the kind of game where it's going to be a lot of runs of you know zero yards followed by a one yard run followed by a negative three yard run followed by a two yard run followed by a 55 yard run that sort of thing and it's uh seeing as how both defenses seem like they really take some amount of pride in winning that battle up front. I mean, Penn State didn't win it last week, so they'll have that chip on their shoulder. Michigan State is Michigan State, and like you said, that's just what they do. That very well could be the thing which defensive front's able to get that push that ultimately decides this game. So let's jump into this game. We'll go with, uh, just for both teams, really simply, first off, Michigan State, what do they need to do to win this football game? They need to wrap up, and they need to wrap up and tackle, which will be very difficult against Quan Barkley. They need to win the turnover battle, which has been a problem for them, and um, uh, yeah, probably those. And I guess be creative enough in offensive play calling because a, a typical by the numbers play calling is is not going to be enough because they're probably not going to be able to run. I'm not, I'm, I don't think they're going to run the ball. So I think they're going to have to be creative on offense. Yeah. And to me, the big concern is kind of what you said about Brian Lewerke. Like he's a very, a, a very competent passer. He doesn't get rattled, all those things, but he's willing to kind of take off and run from out of the pocket, which that's when Penn state has struggled against quarterbacks. Uh, in recent years, their struggles seem to come when you know they're able to get a defense, an offense into a third and nine or something like that, and they're bringing five or six guys on the pass rush, and the quarterback is able to evade that pressure and just tuck the ball and run because the five guys dropping back to defend the pass are really focused on that, and that's kind of been where Penn State's big issue is because I. Lewerke doesn't ha- get too many designed runs, correct? 
Um, they, they run a bit of option. They do some QB sneaks. From time to time, they'll call a QB. They, they call maybe two or three QB draws, actually, against Northwestern. That may have just been game plan specific. But they, they, do, uh, they do run a bit of option. All right. But they're big, the big way that he runs the ball is, uh, you know, tuck and run, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's probably where it gets most of his yards, yeah. Yeah, and that's what that, – I mean, that's why where John O'Corn seemed to be the most comfortable against Penn State when he was tucking it and running it, even though yeah. he didn't really have too terribly much success doing that. Uh, Penn State had that problem against Indiana when Peyton Ramsey came in. And, of course, going from Richard Legau to Peyton Ramsey are two very, very different styles of defense you have to play against uh, said quarterback. But that's – kind of where Penn State's Achilles, I don't want to say Achilles heel has been, but it's something that has, you know, come up to bite them. And if Penn State's offense isn't able to, like, I don't expect them to continuously run the ball successfully because I'm just not sure Penn State's offensive line can handle that. But if Penn State's, you know, they fall behind something like, or or if Penn State gets into a situation where they're pinning their ears back all the time and they just can't get home, that could be something that really hurts them, especially on the road against a good football team. But uh, kind of other side of the coin, the way Penn State ends up winning this game, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think because the answer always seems to be, well, you know, Saquon Barkley to Saquon Barkley stuff, but Michigan State seems like it's pretty well equipped to keep Saquon Barkley from doing Saquon Barkley stuff. With, you know, uh, getting out of the backfield and breaking off runs, that could be a little bit longer, consistently chipping away when he has the opportunity, that kind of stuff. So is Saquon Barkley, is getting him, you know, running the ball, is he going to be, is that how Penn State wins this game? He consistently runs the ball, or are they going to have to look for something else? I, I think it's going to come down to McSorley making plays in the air and in the passing game. I, think, I don't think Saquon will be shut down. I, I think MSU will just have to keep him from – uh, keep him from breaking off one of those big ones. They're going to have to wrap up, I think, especially if he gets to the outside on some place. Um, but I, I think McSorley running will be an interesting spot. Uh, Clayton Thorson um, had room to run last week for Northwestern, um, and, and they've given up some QB runs uh, at other times this year. So uh, how that, that again comes to the that kind of comes back to the linebackers and pass coverage and whether you know. Defending the pass and also watching a mobile quarterback, I think that's where they struggle. These linebackers have been very good in in the run game, but out in space, they they have they have struggled, and that's I think I think that's going to be a key defensively that Penn State, uh, the MSU's linebackers will have to do whether it's Saquon Barkley going to the outside or McSorley uh, in open in the in the open field as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because last week uh, before the Ohio State game, we had. Uh, we had Kevin Harris from 11 Warriors on, and we said to him, like, how did, uh, like, what does Penn State have to exploit that Oklahoma was able to exploit to win the game? And he pointed out the same thing. He said linebackers. Like, Oklahoma was able to take advantage of, uh, of Ohio State's linebackers, and they need to be the unit that has a big game against Penn State in order to win. And, you know, I mean, some injuries on Penn State's front and the fact that Ohio State's defensive line is terrifying, made it so the linebackers weren't asked to do nearly as much as they probably would be. But this is this seems like it's going to be a recurring theme for Penn State, and it's almost something that it seems like this might be the second week in a row they've had they've gotten the chance to practice 
going after a linebacking unit. And I'm interested to see if they're able to do that over, uh, over four quarters on Saturday. Speaking of what happens over four quarters on Saturday, uh, Chris, you get to go first. What do you, uh, what's your prediction for this one? I went actually, I, I did my pick this week on, on the athletic and I, I said, uh, Penn State 35, Michigan State 14. Oh, wow. I, I think I think Penn State is just they're just more talented at every spot. And I, I think there's I think MSU's, you know, a decent team, but I think Penn State and Ohio State are, are, are just on a different level. And I, I think MSU will have some trouble tackling, will have some some trouble in space. Um, and and I think MSU's offensive line will be eaten up and, and the offense won't be able to get a ton going. That's interesting, just because you, you you wouldn't think that after a loss on the road in heartbreaking fashion, Michigan State would come home and allow 35 points. But I mean, it seems like you're saying this more from the perspective of you think Penn State's able to get it done. Uh, Penn State's able to execute more than Michigan State has flaws and failures and things like that they are going to keep them from uh, stopping the Nittany Lions, which that's that is pretty interesting. Like, would, is that generally what you think? Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I think this team will be really good next year. I think it'll be good the year after that. I, I they're a year or two away. They're they're young, they're small, and Penn State is a very experienced, very deep and talented team across the board. And I think the experience and talent will just you know be enough. I, I mean, MSU was trailing Indiana deep into the fourth quarter two weeks ago. They were trailing up until the final drive against Northwestern last week. It, 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 they're winning close games, but like I said, they're, they're not, they're not there yet. They still have a lot of room to grow. Penn state is a veteran team. And I think a veteran team will, will know how to come back from, from a loss like that and just know how to get back on track and have the talent across the board to to have its way yeah interesting all right i i'm I, i'm not as uh i don't think it's going to be as big of a margin i think penn state wins uh i'm i'm gonna say something like 24 maybe 28 to 10 just it feels like this is a game where penn state's defense i think has something to prove yeah uh, last i mean last week and so much of it is credit to JT Barrett. I mean, this is something that we've been saying on the pod and on the site for the last week. For Penn State to lose against Ohio State, and all, in all fairness, a lot of weird stuff happened in that game to let Penn State get to a point where it could win it. But for Penn State to win, it took a fifth-year senior senior quarterback having the game of his life. And I think that's the kind of thing that, that a defense is going to go, yeah, I mean, we have something to prove this week. We have... Uh, that little bit extra, and I think they're going to try and get, you know take that anger out on whoever they play. And Michigan State's that team, and Michigan State, I mean, like you said, they're a younger team. This is the kind of game that even if they lose, they're going to learn a lot from it. It's going to be a really good building block for next season. And if they win, hey, I mean, they they got a win over the second or third best team in the Big Ten, depending on how you view Wisconsin, and. They now have a game to decide whether or not they win the Big Ten next week against Ohio State. So that'd be something big for them. Uh, and while while you were talking a second ago, when you talked about Penn State and 
uh, Ohio State being on a different level. That did actually remind me of a question that I wanted to ask and I forgot to put it down. So if you want to take a second to think about it, that's fine. But going off track a little bit, first playoff uh, rankings came out uh, this week. I think Penn State probably doesn't make it. I think if they want to make it, they have to win these next four weeks by a combined score of about, oh, like 150 to 10 or just something ridiculous. Uh, do, do you think the door, because, you know, we hear it from the Penn State side where it's two very, very, very extremes of either, oh, the door's wide open, it's on them to just be in the position, or Penn State's doomed, there's nothing they could do, good season, everyone will see in the Orange Bowl, maybe Saquon plays in it. Where, like, what do you think Penn State fans should, uh, like, what is Penn State's path to making it into the playoff, if there is one? I mean, the only path is, is winning out and Ohio State losing maybe to oh, MSU really? next, losing to MSU next hmm. week and losing to Michigan. I, I don't think there's any, if they don't win the division, I don't think they can get in because last year Ohio State had the win at Oklahoma, who, yes. who ended up winning the Big 12. So they, yeah. they could fall back on that. Penn State just doesn't have the non conference to pull back on. And, Frankly, they don't have the signature win to pull back to fall back on because Michigan doesn't look that good now, and and you lost you lost Ohio State and Iowa's kind of meh. I think MSU's above average, and other than that, you know you don't you don't play Wisconsin. You don't you know yeah. you don't you don't you're not going to have that Big Ten East championship game to make an impression. Uh, the only chance is is I think if MSU upsets Ohio State and then maybe Michigan does the same and yeah. Penn State wins out because I, I don't think that. I don't think eleven to one will be enough because um, I, I think uh, just the teams ahead and they're, they're, right. just the, the the committee has always show, the committee always has shown in three years that they appreciate they they favor big wins more than big wins help you more than bad losses hurt you right and Penn State doesn't have a big win and Ohio State had a big win last year and and. Um, yeah, it, 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 even if Ohio State loses the game and maybe falls behind in the rankings, if that's possible, they still win. They say they win the division and beat Wisconsin. They they move up past them anyway. I think. Interesting. So okay, that's kind of I, I, it's very hard, right? With the, with the non-conference schedule like that, and the the committee is generally not favored the teams that don't play tough non-conference schedules, um, unless you you kind of go above and. Above and beyond. Right. So, I, I mean, I've been of the belief that, you know, Notre Dame loses. Uh, there's some chaos in the, uh, in the ACC and the Big 12. And then, you know, Georgia stomps Alabama or vice versa, and that's their path in. But I, I, I do think that deep down inside, I know the big thing is you have to be able to be in a position, should Ohio State falters, to make it to Indianapolis and, you know, get that win over Wisconsin that I think Penn State or Ohio State's going to end up getting in a few weeks. But, yeah, it's a, it, it's a nice, fun reminder that sports are bad and we should not care about them. Uh, and I think that's it for uh, discussion of Penn State and Michigan State. Real quick, uh, let's just go down the Big Ten. One thing I'll say, though, about this game is that in the land-grant trophy game <laughs> – you, you throw out the record <laughs> and then you go dig them back up out of the garbage because the team that's favored wins every every time. <laughs> so that's uh, how you do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hadn't considered that. I didn't consider that they would have 
uh, that very hangy, heavy thing hanging over them. And it would be like, it'd be like when there are wrestling matches on an undercard under a hell in the cell where it's just, that's hanging over everything ominously. And you're afraid that it's weight might cause it to fall or something, but yeah. And before yeah. going out on the field, both teams will play that, that, YouTube that 20 second YouTube video that's that's photos of the land grant trophy set to everywhere by Michelle Branch and it just <laughs> it just gets you hyped up for the game yeah it can't it can't not uh I, I will make a note to uh include that in the post in the event that people have not seen it but it's the it best video on YouTube it is Chris explained it literally exactly what it is and you put in your head, you could put together every single thing he said. Like, oh, it's a bunch of pictures of the Land Grant Trophy wall, everything by Michelle Branch plays. But then when you actually see it and, you know, it cuts to... I won't say what it cuts to right when it goes to, because you're everywhere to me. But it's like spellbinding. So, yeah, I'll make it a point to put that in there. And hopefully we can find a picture of the Land Grant Trophy to use as the uh, uh, featured image for this. But yeah, let's. Uh... What what other what other rivalry trophies were at the Yalta Conference? None, <laughs> none. Uh, the, I think the the thing that makes me upset the most about this game not ending the season was. Oh, I am so mad about that. Who, so and it's the, and the future too. They announced the future schedules, and it won't be. And yeah. it's ridiculous. I mean, y'all got Rutgers, which there's literally. Literally the only reason that Rutgers-Michigan State is closing the season is because Michigan and Ohio State have each other. They're trying to shoehorn this Penn State-Maryland thing into being a thing, and Purdue and Indiana have to play each other. So. They're just, there's already a rivalry trophy game set for the right. last week of the season. Just just live with it. Right. And Maybe, like, MSU and Rutgers can fight over the situation because he was at an MSU game in 2008 while <laughs> – Filming something on campus for a web show. Yeah, and DJ Durkin. Emgo Blog already made it. Already made the situation trophy. They made up the situation <laughs> trophy for the MSU Rutgers game. Well, I mean, I, I think we both agree that Michigan State and Rutgers is as much of a rivalry as Penn State and Maryland is. So, especially when it's put into the context of it's this or the Land Grant Trophy. So, yeah, let's. Uh, Jim Delaney needs to be petitioned to fix this because this is something that should not stand. And he, he killed the Michigan state, Wisconsin rivalry just when they were getting big, they right. got split up and didn't play each other. And now they're killing the land grant. Right. right. And Michigan state is, is never going to be Michigan's biggest rival. Right. So you might as well go all in. Even James Franklin called it the most beautiful trophy in college football. <laughs> like just like let's own this and go all in on it. Cause I am, I am ready for that. I agree. I completely agree. And I think that ties a bow on what should be a, I'd argue this is probably going to end up being the big tens game of the week. And that will be obvious as we go down the rest of the big Ten slate this week, Uh, Wisconsin goes to Indiana. Here's the deal. I am going to sit, Chris, I'm going to say that this is the week that Indiana gets that win because in a way that helps Penn state out. But I know deep down inside it's not going to happen. I know that even though it's a noon kick on ABC in Bloomington, like Wisconsin's probably just going to smother them because that's what Wisconsin does. Yeah, you know, I thought Indiana was going to get it last week because their only losses had been to Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Penn State. So it was like, 
okay, now they're playing Maryland. They can finally get, and then they lose to Maryland. So yeah. I don't know. Indiana's going back to going back to doing Indiana, I guess. So I've got Wisconsin, even though I think it'll be ugly. Wisconsin fans don't like me. I, I, I've had them at number 11 in my 100 ranking of 130 teams the last two weeks, and they have been really upset about that. And I cannot believe they're number four in the polls. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And, the, and then the committee comes in and puts them at, what was it, nine or ten? So I, think, so I think that, I think that is more fair. They're not – they're not – you know, they're kind of inching past Illinois. They're inching past Purdue. They're not, be, they're not blowing out teams they should blow out. I'm just yeah. – that's – and, and if Jonathan Taylor is banged up, you know, they've got their whole deal going on. Like, they're not doing the, you know, what Brett Bielema would do, where for all of the flaws that Brett Bielema has as a coach that Arkansas fans are mad about right now, if there was one thing that he knew, it was that when you are playing a team that is worse with you, worse than you, and you're not going to really have that one opportunity to show what you can do against one of the elites in the sport – you have to go out there and you have to put your foot on the gas and you need to keep it down there for the entire game. And this team just doesn't seem like it's wired that way. Like, this game won't end. You know, be, I, our friends at Crimson Quarry are uh, recalling a, uh, an Indiana-Wisconsin game when Bielema was there. I think it was like 82-10 to 10 or something like that. Which, no, that's not This game, partially because, you know, Indiana... Their defense is solid and all those things. It's this game's gonna be like thirty-five to thirteen or something, or thirty-five to ten. And those that's just not what Wisconsin can really afford because they need to be dragging teams and they're that's just not what well, they do. If, if they went if they if they went out, I, I think they're in. I don't think they're I don't think oh, yeah. if if they went out there and if they lose a the game, they're not. That's basically what they're it, that's basically where they're at. Oh yeah, they're they have a one game season and it's against Ohio State or you know, some things break the right way. Penn State or Michigan State in Indianapolis on the first weekend of December. But whatever. Uh, I'm rooting for Indiana. Next up, Illinois and Purdue. Um, noon kick, BTN. I, yeah, this. For all the promise that Purdue has shown, uh, it's kind of seemed like they've taken. Uh, in recent week, and I have to look at what they did last week because, you know, I was, yeah, they lost to Nebraska last week. They've taken a bit of a step back in recent weeks, uh, losing to Nebraska 14-12 to Rutgers, losing a really close one against Wisconsin that wasn't as close as the eight-point margin of victory indicated. Like, what, I I think Purdue, they're going to win a few games down the stretch. I think they win this one pretty easily because I think Illinois is pretty bad. But yeah, like I, I just have a very hard time getting way, way up for a game like this. Oh yeah, I mean, in terms of you know caring, it's it's hard to see much there. I mean, their last two losses just absolutely. I mean, the Rutgers loss was inexcusable. Losing the Nebraska game the way they did was real bad, and now a bowl game, which seemed like. It was coming uh, is now very much in doubt. Yeah, so they, uh, I, I do think Purdue wins though because I think Illinois is yeah. worse. I mean, they were three and two with Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois, and then I guess we'll throw Northwestern in there uh, on the schedule. And they've lost two of those games so far. So whatever. Let's uh, let's talk about a game that actually I don't think is going to be. I think a lot of people are talking themselves into uh, Ohio State traveling to Kinnick at three thirty on ESPN. 
being interesting because, you know, Iowa was able to make Penn State win that game with no time left. I think Ohio State, one, it's not a night game, and, you know, Kinnick has this magic switch that flips when a game kicks off at 7 compared to 3.30. Two, I just don't think Iowa's anywhere near fast enough to be able to to not, not only win, not win this game, but I'm not even certain they can hang around in it for too terribly long without Ohio State's playing. Yeah, it, I mean, unless, unless, you know, sometimes weird things can happen. But, yeah, Iowa's a team I've been surprised in. Seven, only 17 points against Minnesota, only 10 against Northwestern, only 10 against MSU, uh, 19 against Penn State. Offensively, just... And I think Ohio State's front will shut down the running game like they generally shut down Saquon Barkley last week, and and that'll that'll be that. I didn't realize that it looked like um, Matt Brown shared something that I was only got one win over Ohio State in the past like twenty five years. Oh, wow. I did not I did not realize how one sided of, of a series this was. Part of it's because they there have been several gaps of not playing each yeah. other, but. Yeah, Iowa actually beating Ohio State is, does not happen very often. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't realize that either. I mean, I, it kind of makes sense. I think when you consider that, you know, for how good Iowa's been, like they are always good when Ohio State's good, and when Ohio State's, you know, down, either they're not playing or the, uh, or it's just one of those situations where I was not able to take advantage of this. But yeah, I'm pulling it up on. Uh, the site wins right now. This all-time series is 46-14 to 14 Ohio State. Uh, Iowa's only win was in 2004. Uh, and their only win prior to that was 1991. So, yeah, this has been a... Yeah, oof, that's weird. Oh, uh, they also had one that was vacated in there. That's fun. Uh, next up, Maryland... Wait, wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. Who, who had a vacated win? Uh, Ohio State? Ohio State in 2010. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Moving on to a game that we definitely don't care about, Maryland at Rutgers 330 kick BTN. We're not going to talk about this game at all, but what we are going to do is play the ticket price game, which I'm going to uh, ask Chris what the lowest price ticket is that you can get for this game on StubHub. Uh, Currently, uh, 330 kick at High Point Solution Stadium in Piscataway. Currently, the cheapest ticket is $6.00. Ah, it's higher than I was going to guess. Higher than you were going to guess, yeah. I actually messed that entire game up because my head's just in the clouds right now. <laughs> yeah, I, was gonna say, yeah. I thought you were going to yeah. ask me. <laughs> yeah, we're, do- we're, we're, we're doing great. But yeah, you, there are 57 tickets available for this game, which that means that either one, a whole hell of a lot of people are going to this game, or two, people are just forgetting to put their tickets up. Uh, yeah, I think Max Schlager probably gets hit a lot, I think. Rutgers isn't able to do much of anything on offense, and the first team to score like nine points wins this one. Yeah, well, I was surprised how much Maryland put up against what I thought was a good Indiana defense. So maybe, I don't know, Maryland's weird. Some They're always down to a fourth-string quarterback, and every two or three weeks they'll like just explode offensively. So I guess that happened last week, so maybe not this week. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Northwestern Nebraska, 330 kick BTN, uh, coming from Lincoln. Uh, the question for this game is, uh, at when it's over, will Nebraska need to add $1 million onto what they're going to offer Scott Frost only for him to say no and take the Florida job? Uh, that's tough. I mean, I, I, I think Scott Frost would be great at both jobs, but if you're Florida, do you look at, uh, is Dan Mullen or Willie Taggart your first choice? I think, I think all three of those 
would be really good options. So yeah, yeah, I I'm very I'm very curious to see how that search will play out because there are some good options there. But if you're if you're Northwestern and you don't get Scott Frost, then yeah, I'm not sure where you go. Well, well, first off, uh, Mar- uh, uh, Mississippi State's old athletic director, the one that hired Dan Mullen, is currently a Florida, correct? Yes, yeah, Scott yeah. Strickland. That's right. Yeah, he. So I, I think, and I am on the record as saying, I think Dan Mullen is the second best coach in the SEC behind Saban. So I think that'd be a home run for them. I just don't know if they're going to want to go with him or if they're going to want the newer, shinier thing right down the road in Frost. But either way, yeah, that's going to... What my, I, I just don't think that... And we're not even talking about this game because whatever at this <laughs> point. Like Tanner Lee is not going in the first round of the NFL draft. I think we can all agree on that. But, he's, this, he's this year's... Um... What was the Minnesota guy two years ago? Max, Max, Max. Isn't it? Oh, God. Why Why am I forgetting this? Because I would make fun of him all the time. Uh, I'm, looking at, I'm, I'm looking yeah. it up right here. Uh, no, Max was their tight end. M- M- Mitch, Mitch Leidner. Mitch Leidner. Yeah, Max Williams was their tight end. Uh, but, yeah. With two I, X's, yes. Two X's, yeah. But, yeah, like, I just – I have zero idea. Nebraska is going to end up hiring like an up and coming coordinator or something. And it's going to make all their fans mad. And they're going to perpetually win like six games, seven games or something like that as punishment for firing Bo Pelini, who is actually a good football coach. I tell you, I think it would be a good fit there. If it say Carl Pelini, it it may not, it it, it might be kind of hard to see it happening, but I think Brett Bielema would do a good job. Oh, Brett would be fantastic there. I mean, I, I actually I sent out a tweet as a joke this week, not realizing that he was born in Lincoln that they should hire Lane Kiffin, because I think every team should hire Lane Kiffin. And someone just straight some Nebraska fan said, You you're gonna make me want to cheer for Brett Bielema, aren't you? And I was like, You're Nebraska. Like every one of your fans wants to play defense and run the football behind a big offensive line and a fullback and occasionally have your quarterback run around, which like that's what Brett Bielema does. Like, why wouldn't you because Nebraska, it, they're kind of like Florida in that they have a view of the best days of their program and they want their program to play and win like they did during the best days of their program. And for Nebraska, that means playing, running the football, I mean, playing, putting up a bunch of points on offense, doing all that stuff. And for the limitations that Nebraska has in recruiting and stuff like that, I mean, you might as well try and swing for the fences and get someone the caliber of Burt. I'm surprised you aren't pushing for for Neb Doozy. Oh, uh, I did Husker Doozy uh, a few months ago. I, don't worry, I'm I'm sure I will find jobs to link Pat Narduzzi to. But the greatest, yeah. I honestly, I think the greatest moment in the history of your blog is when Pat Narduzzi got asked about. Oh, God. I I can't believe somebody asked that. All all credit to Pat Narduzzi because (laughs) he sat there and he laughed at it and he he understood that we were all joking. And he just, you know what? Credit to Pat Narduzzi. The one-year anniversary of that was, uh, I'm pulling the calendar up right now. The one-year anniversary of that being a thing was uh, Tuesday. So we have have come 365 days from when... uh, Perduzzi was a thing that yeah. took off for whatever reason. Uh, last game, Minnesota, Michigan. Uh, 
I think Michigan. A wins. night game. This is a night, night game, game at Michigan yep. Stadium. You you would think that they'd try. Well, the fifth, oh, the fifth this makes the no sense. Never a night game. They are both on Fox. I don't know why Penn State, Michigan State isn't being flexed. If they are, if both of these games are on Fox. Well, I guess they probably. You know, unless they think unless they think Michigan is that big of a draw. Well, I, which I they they're a bigger draw than either MSU or Penn State, but I don't think that game's going to draw. Oh, I mean, on a scale of one to ten, it's like, yeah, Michigan is probably like a ten on its ability to draw college football wide. Penn State's probably like a. I mean, Penn State's been involved in like three of the top seven games this year, so they're probably like an eight or a nine. Michigan State's probably a very solid. Somewhere in the five to seven range, and then the Minnesota. They're they're State. they're usually they're usually around a seven range. I'd say. I mean, yeah. they're the Michigan Michigan State. I mean, I know Michigan as well, but the Michigan Michigan State game was is I think a top five oh, wow, or okay. top seven game this year. And the MSU Ohio State games are always very high. So yeah, uh, in, in the big games they 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 pull a good TV yeah. crowd. And then there's Minnesota, which nobody would watch unless they absolutely had to. So right, right. When you put all this together, like I don't get why. And my guess is this kick time was. Like Penn State, Michigan State was probably announced like two weeks ago, and Michigan was got this night game like in July or something, and it's they don't want to like flex that or something. But yeah, it, this it, is... it, it, well, they announced it uh, this week or late, late last week, I think, is when they announced it. But here's a, here, here's a question for you: What do you think of of Fox Fox's Big Ten Big Ten broadcasting? So now? it's it's weird because. This week, I don't think there is a single Penn State fan who has said a single nice thing about Joel Klatt. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, you watched last week. And I, I tried to you know, keep a level head with that. But there were times where it did feel a little bit like he was rooting for Ohio State to get back in this, that game. Although it was solely because I would contend he knew that if Ohio State got back in that game, Gus Johnson would have lost his mind and that entertains him. But, like, when they did the Big Ten title game, I, Gus Johnson, for all of his flaws, I mean, big games are his thing. And I think Clatt's generally pretty good at what he does. But, yeah, last week they made a lot of Penn State fans upset. And I don't think there is more of a game that will waste everything good that Gus Johnson does more than um, Minnesota going to Michigan. Yeah. My only, my only complaint about Fox, other than – a couple times they overlapped with baseball and it led to some weird delays, but uh, their commercial breaks are too long for me. And and I I believe someone said that they are longer than the ESPN, ABC, even BTN commercial breaks, but they're, they're like noticeably long when you, when you watch a big 10 game on Fox, the the TV timeouts, it's kind of frustrating, but, but, but it's better than, it's better than needing to turn to the, to the standard deaf, you know, third alternate BTN channel to, to catch a game. I, I like that, um, you know, different broadcasters, different high-level broadcasters are doing more Big Ten games. I also really, really, really hate their, uh, like, in-game commercial thing that they'll sometimes do. It was especially bad during the World Series where they'd say, here's a quick word from T-Mobile, and then like they'd miss a pitch because they were showing a five second T-Mobile ad that just didn't make any sense. And I like, they always annoy me. And then I think there was one that they did last week during the Penn state game where they might have missed like the very start of a snap. And I just lost my mind. Like they're, I I, I don't get them, but yeah, uh, Michigan's going to win this game. It's not going to be especially close. 
Correct. Uh, I'm curious to see if, if Brandon Peters is takes a step up from last week. Last week he was just generally competent, and yeah. that turned out to be a big step up from what John O'Corn was doing. So yeah. Michigan fans are all in on that now. Now now that there's some tape on him, now that you know Minnesota is you know not good, but now that teams can game plan specifically yeah. for him, I'm I'll be curious to see. Um, how how Peters looks? Did did Michigan turn to Peters too late? Because I've heard both sides of this. Um, I mean, too late. Well, I wouldn't have put him in against Penn State. I wouldn't have put him in in that in that. Um, I agree in that environment. And the other thing is, I mean, the one thing with Jim Harbaugh is that you, I I trust his quarterback judgment. Yep. I mean, it, but before before Corn got in the game. People, the fans have been yelling for 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 O'Corn to get yeah. in instead of Jordan Spate. And yeah. oh, what do you know? It turned out that you know O'Corn wasn't that good. Is Peters long term? Is he going to be good? I don't know. He looked okay against Rutgers, but it was Rutgers. It was at home. It was pretty simple stuff. I think a big part is simplifying the offense. I think they're asking O'Corn to do way too much. I think D'Antonio said something along the lines of Michigan had. Played like sixty different formations at least in, in the MSU game. I think they're putting too much game plan for a young, a very young. They're a very young yeah. team too. I think I think he's putting too much on a young team. It needs to simplify. It looked like it was simplified with Peters in there. So we'll see if that continues. Yeah, I mean they and their schedule. Uh, I mean Peters more or less has I'd say three tune-up games. Uh, Rutgers, which you know he played well, didn't have to do too terribly much, but he played like you said, competent. And then Minnesota at home and then a trip to Maryland against a Maryland team that I don't think is especially great before uh, a trip to Wisconsin and then a game against Ohio State that I've talked myself into Michigan's defense being able to make it a little interesting, but I don't know if I actually believe that. But yeah, I mean, they're, they, it was never about this year for Michigan. It was always about, uh, you know, can they win it next year or can they uh, – you know, can next year be the year where they are maybe a game away, and then the year after that's the year they break through? I think Bill Connolly wrote something very, uh, very funny about how Michigan was projected to win nine games this year. They are currently down to their third string quarterback, and they are projected to win eight games this year. So it's not like they're just going crazy or anything like that. But it's it, it's still fun to make fun of Michigan football. So rock on. Uh, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. Chris, where can people find your stuff? Uh, Theathletic.com slash All-American. And uh, before it's too late this week, we're having a a 35% off sale. You can get a a year subscription to all the athletic sites, which um, which for for I think around 40 bucks total will be just for the whole year. That, That includes all the college football. That includes all the college basketball that's that's now up. That includes the athletic Philadelphia that includes some of the Pittsburgh coverage they have as well. So for your Pennsylvania listeners, uh, we've got, I think Pennsylvania covered pretty well. Um, so Pittsburgh, that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. The athletic.com slash all American uh, or the athletic.com slash CFB playoff is the link to, to the discount um, slash CFB playoff. And uh, I'm at Chris Vanini on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I, so when I subscribe to the athletic, I, for whatever reason, I wasn't sure if it Thanks was Thanks for subscribing, brother. Thanks hey, for not a problem. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was, you know, it's X amount of, you know, I subscribe for one and then I have to scri- subscribe for all the others. No, you subscribe 
one time you get access to everything. Uh, you know, the people they have over there, it's as great as everyone says it is. Everyone who writes enjoys reading what they have over there. So definitely check it out. They give a good national perspective on everything. And yeah, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Uh, subscribe to us on our millions of different different podcast platforms. Leave us a review, preferably a five-star one on iTunes. And while you're there, you might as well subscribe to us. Follow us on Twitter at RLR Blog. Like on Facebook. Like on Instagram, Roar Lions Roar. Buy some shirts. Keep reading and supporting the site because that's always, you know, always a good decision. And yeah, helps us pay the bills. So if you'd like us to... Keep being a website. Please pay for things. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, one last time. Uh, Chris Vanini, thanks for coming on. And thanks for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Take care, everyone. Get hyped for the Land Grant Trophy. <laughs>